I think one of the things that I love and appreciate about Francis is uh, just a man that's passionate about not only knowing Jesus, but really desiring to live out Jesus in his life. And so this morning I'm excited to have him speak, but what I'd like to do is I'd just love to pray together with us. Let's beg God to do a work uh, through him, but in our hearts, we don't want to be the same people as when we came in. So could we pray together uh, before we have him speak? Father, it's not just about gathering together. It's not just about singing songs. Uh, We believe that the Bible that we're about ready to open inside of it has a message that is powerful. That your spirit uh, wants to communicate to us, that he's been communicating for 2,000 years. And so I just would even ask this morning that as Francis preaches, that, uh, Father, he would speak on your behalf and call us to, to what it is that, uh, that you desire us to, to be and to live. And so just empower him this morning. Allow him to, to be able to, uh, to really speak on your behalf. And then, Father, on our end, uh, all of us are coming in from different things, and our hearts just need to be adjusted. We need to be changed. And so would you do a work in us? Would your spirit be powerful in that way? We beg you. And so, uh, Father, this is your moment. Um, do your work. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. <sighs> This is good. I, I was like bawling during first service like a little girl. I just, it was, it was, it's, it's weird. I mean, things are so good in my life right now. Um, but walking in here this morning and seeing familiar faces, it, 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 I wasn't ready for it. It was such a shock. And I, and I realized what it was, right, as we started to worship. As a, it, it feels so good to walk into a place and be loved um, and, and you realize, you know, because we have awesome things are going up in San Francisco. And, and for those who don't know me, I, I was a pastor of this church for, for 16 years. And then the last year and a half, been up in San Francisco, just believing the Lord wanted me to go to a difficult place. And um, San Francisco is difficult. And, uh, and go to a place that, where most people reject Jesus pretty adamantly, vehemently, and, uh, and try to be a light there. And it's good and seeing great things happen. Um, but it was so nice to walk into a room and actually have support and people that care about you. And, and, you, and you almost forget, uh, you almost forget what that feels like. I mean, it's so good to be on a mission and to go after something. Um, but one of my kids said the other day, you know, it's weird to be in a place where no one really cares about you and uh, where we're used to being loved. And it's a weird thing. And it, it made me think, you know, between services, I, I, I remember how when missionaries would come back, they would tell me how insecure they would feel coming back to Cornerstone. They say it's weird because we've been away for like a year, you know, we're going after this thing and trying to meet these people and pursuing this whole new life. And the whole time you're wondering, when I go home, will anyone even remember me? And, and so it was weird because this morning it was just that awkward thing. You know, Todd and I were praying earlier this morning and, and I go, it's weird because I'm kind of not the pastor there anymore. I don't know who I am or what I do and, you know, who's going to remember me, who's new and all these new faces and that sense in which you've lost home. Um, and, and I, I, during, between services, I'm like, this is what all those missionaries were talking about. 
to such a greater degree. And man, and I know, you know, I've got so many people that care about me, this or that, but it made me think about the people that have left here to go out and be missionaries and and how I, I just got a little glimpse of what they go through and just beg you, please, if you think of people that have left Cornerstone to go and do God's work somewhere else in this world, man, do everything you can to support them, write to them when they come back, make them feel like gold, um, because it's, it's pretty crazy. You get excited about the mission, but it's so nice to come back somewhere where people actually know you and you've got a history with them and there's relationship. And I see so many of you that I, I baptized you. I saw your kids being born. Well, I didn't watch, but you know, I, I was, you know, but you know, it, it's, it's like I married you, you know, we, we've been through some tough times together and that history, you just can't repeat that. And, uh, you know, as I'm getting settled in in San Francisco, I was just out there thinking, but I don't think this could ever happen again um, in my lifetime. You know, what, what we had, the, the relationship in those years, and you start over and you go on these callings from God, but it's just, it's, it's just it's, it was special being back in this room and, uh, and seeing your faces again. But life for me, like I, I said, I, I don't know that I've ever had this much peace about my life. The family's great. Um, it's really weird. Last week, you know, I'm teaching Rachel how to drive and I'm teaching my youngest how to walk. Um, you know, not many fathers can say that. You know, I've got a 16 year old and a one year old. My uh, boy Zeke is six now and uh, he's got four sisters. So we go out and hit each other and, you know, just do guy stuff. It's been good. Um, A lot of you guys remember Mercy, my 12-year-old daughter. Um, She still hasn't sinned. Um, (laughs) So that's good news. We almost got her to swear. Um, But uh, she's been great. Uh, Ellie, same old goofy Ellie. Uh, Rachel, like I said, turned 16. She released an album earlier this year. And she and I have been touring around a little bit where she sings and I teach. And it's it's pretty pretty crazy. Man, things are just really good. And then Lisa, who many of you love and miss, and rightly so, has just been an absolute gem. Um, she, uh, she just, she's been filming a Bible study series for women that's getting released this fall. Uh, she's just been uh, just an amazing support, discipling all sorts of women out there with crazy needs and uh, puts up with a, a husband that just, you never know what's going to happen next. It's like, hey, uh, I found this homeless lady, and I don't know if I bring her back, <laughs> you know. It, it's just, all right, you trust her? I go, not really, you know, but I think we're supposed to. Okay, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just life, you know, and, and, uh, and I couldn't be more excited about where she is with the Lord and how she's ministering to people and caring for people and and just living out what she says she believes. Um, but like I said, there's just been so much peace. And I, I think of that passage in, um, in 1 John, when I, when I think of you guys, in 1 John chapter 1, 
where, where John's kind of almost beside himself. He's trying to explain Jesus, and he's saying, this is, this is why I'm writing to you guys. Uh, he goes, because I saw him, I touched him. And, and then in verse 3, he says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John's like, man, I'm, I experienced Jesus. Like I have fellow, it's crazy. I talked to him. He's right there with me. I touched him. And he goes, and I'm writing this because this is, gonna, this is what's going to make my joy complete. He goes, I'm telling you because this is going to make my joy complete. And there's so many times when I'm up in San Francisco, like I've got this group of guys every morning, we worship together, incredible times of worship, some of my favorite times of worship. Get in the word together, share together, you know, get in our faces and pray to God. And then we go and we hit the streets and just start ministering to people however we can. And, and there are times when I'm there, that morning time where I, I picture some of your faces and I go, oh, I wish he could experience this. I wish she could be in the room right now. I wish you could all just get a glimpse of what goes on in that room because it's just such a powerful time. And, and I think of that passage like, oh, this would make my joy complete if, uh, if I could get the people I love to experience something like this. This is what I've been after. Um, it's, I keep using that word peace, like I go, oh, this is right, this is right, this is right. This, this feels like the Bible now. It's the peace that I've lacked for so many years where I'd read this book and go, gosh, I don't feel like I'm on the mission like they were. And now it's starting to get there. And it's like, oh, okay, this feels right. This feels good. Because I'm a very selfish, self-centered person. I wake up, I think about myself, I think about me, and, and I don't like that about me. And yet there are those times when I finally walk away from something. I go, oh, good, I finally did it. Because you, you, I'll feel convicted about things. You know, you do it. You, you, you hear a message or you read the Bible in the morning and you get convicted. Or you hear a message on the radio or on the internet, you get convicted. But then, you know, sometimes you just ignore it. You know, you feel bad, but you don't do anything. And then uh, it, sometimes we even make excuses and we'll justify why, well, you know, even though I feel that conviction, it probably doesn't really apply. You know, but then there's those times when you get so convicted, you just have to do something. Like where you go, you know what? I, I need to actually act. And when I look in scripture, I see that Satan doesn't mind you hearing the word of God and being convicted by it. As long as you don't act. He doesn't mind you getting in Bible studies. I mean, in fact, it's great. He would love for you to get into Bible studies, study it over and over again, cry together, hug together, and then do nothing about it. Because then, like James 1 says, it's perfect. Oh, good. They're hearers of the word deceiving themselves and not doing what it says. It's when it comes to when there comes an actual, I'm going to do something about it, that's when he hates it. He hates action. He hates change to actually do something. I mean, that's why. What did John the Baptist preach? What was the one word? 
Repent, right? What does repent mean? Does it, it, it's about change, turn. Go, you're heading one direction, you actually turn around and head the other direction. That's what the message has always been. What was the first thing that Jesus preached? Repent. The kingdom of heaven, change your ways, change. What's the first thing Peter preached on the day of Pentecost? Repent and be baptized. It's always been this message of change, like do something. There's a repentance. It's change, change, change. Do something, change. That was the message of of John the Baptist. That was Jesus. That was Peter, Obama. It's just change. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, It's that idea, but I was thinking about this, and uh, I I meant nothing by that. It's just purely a joke. Okay. Um, In in Luke, I I was thinking about this. It's, It's the message, you guys know, of the rich young ruler. Remember in in Luke chapter 18, and he's like, well, I want to follow you. I want eternal life. He says, well, then sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And what does it say? It says he went away sad because he was rich, right? So he got convicted and he walked away sad. And Jesus is like, ah, it's so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then his disciples say, well, then who can be saved? He goes, hey, it's, it's difficult, but what's impossible with man is possible with God. And then what happens? Next chapter, chapter 19, Jesus runs into Zacchaeus. And it says specifically in verse 2, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, the rich guy, Jesus tells him, hey, come down, I'm going to stay at your house. When Zacchaeus hears everything, he says in verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. You see the difference? You got two rich guys. One guy, he's looking at his stuff and he walks away convicted, sad, like, oh, I got a lot of stuff. I don't know, man. And Jesus just goes, oh, it's so hard for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then you got another rich guy who jumps out of his tree, go, hey, here's half of everything you know I own. Give it to the poor. And I know I ripped a bunch of people off. I'll give you four times whatever I stole from you. Come. And Jesus says, look. Okay, salvation came to this house. Remember what I said was impossible with man? It was just made possible with God. Right there, right there. Rich man, just as I could care less. I get it. You see, what was the difference? They both heard a message. One went away sad, and one just repented and did something. And that's what God wanted. You see that joy. You see this like, here it is, here it is. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And that's what life is all about. I mean, I, 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 I think so many times we come to church, and we get convicted, and we walk away sad because we're not repenting. It's not like we're trying to make you feel terrible. It's like, no, would you, if you change, it would be great. It'd be great because there's those times, and I do it too, where you know it's going to cost something. And so you go, I don't know. And you, you, you do, do I really actually change? I'm just saying the times I've actually done something, 
Man, it have been the greatest times in my life. This church started because of that. A point, you ever get to that point where it's like, I can't take it anymore. Something's got to change. I love how Bill Hybels puts it. He calls it a Popeye moment. How many of you guys, some of you young people don't even know who Popeye is. How many of you know who Popeye is? You watch, okay, good, a lot of you. Okay, Popeye, remember, remember how he would get to that point. Like Bluto would be like throwing stuff at him and he would just like, <laughs> you know. But then there would come that point where he would get him so mad. Maybe he did something to olive oil. Um, oh, remember that? And then finally, what would he say? He goes, that's all I can stand because I can't stance no more. Remember that? And Hybels talks about that moment, that Popeye moment where he just pulls out the spinach, forget this, and he beats up Bluto. I'm just done. Okay, I can't take it anymore. See, there's those moments in life where you have such a lack of peace because you know, you read this book, you've been convicted, convicted, convicted. It eats at you. You push it away, push it away. You say, forget it. I can't take it anymore. I'm just going to change. That's all I can take. I can't take anymore. I've got to change. And that's the key. It's like, okay, forget it. here. Here's all my money. Here, here, take half of it here. Four times. Let's just get this thing over with. I'm repenting. I'm turning. Man, this church was a result of of me at at one point just finally going, you know, I'm tired of all the fighting in church, man. What are we arguing about? Why do I walk in and and I don't know who hates who or or what's going on? And, 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 you know, where's the money going? And I'm being told not to preach certain passages. What are you talking about? What do you mean don't talk about hell? What do you mean don't mention that talk? I just want to be in a place, I'm just looking at my wife, I just want to be in a room with people just, just to teach the Bible to them and teach anything out of this book. I just want to know that it's real and that we're really singing to him. And so is it okay if we start a church in our living room, wherever? I don't care. I just can't take this anymore. And that's how Cornerstone started. I remember times when I came, remember when I came back from Africa that first time with Children's Hunger Fund and I came back, I go, man, I can't take it. Look at all the stuff we got, honey. Look at this house. Are you kidding? After what I saw and then, you know, and then it was like, we can't build this big, giant, monster mall church, you know? Let's just, let's just, let's just worship on the grass. You know, remember that? It's just, it's like I can't take it anymore. All my life I've known there's people that are starving. I know there's people who have no clean water to drink. I know there's people dying right now. And yet I keep pushing off, well, but that's, you know, I don't know. There's a reason why it's okay for me to live this way and for them that way. And, and you get to this point where you go, you know what? I can't take it anymore. I haven't felt right about this the whole time. You know, let's just start getting rid of stuff. Let's just purge. Let's just simplify. And let's just help. Man, you remember when I came back from uh, getting so convicted about the human trafficking and these kids being enslaved? And it's just like, I couldn't take it. I couldn't sleep. I kept thinking, what if that was my kid that was kidnapped? And I just thought, man, there's no way I would just walk on this stage and go, hey, guess what? You know, one of my kids was kidnapped, being raped right now. But that's cool. Let's turn to John chapter 6. 
I couldn't do that. I would be going nuts. And so how can we just kind of go on with life? We got to do something. And it's so cool to see different ones of you going, yeah, yeah, let's do something. Let's do something. To, to see the video this week of, of, of Shannon and everything that she started over there. And different ones. Some, you know, when I went to Thailand, seeing Al, one of our guys who, who was so convicted, just said, you know what, I'm just going to move over there and take my family and my three foster kids. Because you guys were preaching foster systems. So I got three of them you know and when it's just I can't take it anymore I've got to do something I mean that was the other thing that was so beautiful here the testimony of what happened in this room when we would look at James 1 and we'd go wait true religion is to care for the widows and the orphans it doesn't make sense that there are half a million kids in the foster system and no one will take them and yet supposedly a hundred million Christians in this country, and no one wants the kids to care for those orphans. And we started, some of you started taking some foster kids in, and it became this movement here. And we start emptying out the foster system, and people in other places hear about it and go, wait, that actually makes sense. You remember Domingo and Irene that was in, the, you know, that were in this, in this congregation, usually sat right about there. And they go, actually, if we moved up north, we'd get a bigger place and take in more foster kids. You know, I mean, they're, they're over 60 years old now. And they took in 11 foster kids, adopted them, you know? And you go, that makes sense in light of what this book teaches me. It's fine, like, I can't take it anymore. I'm just going to go do it. I'm just... And once you do it, it's like, ah, oh, this is so good. This is so right. But there's been uh, one area in my life that honestly... I haven't had peace about in years. And I just kept pushing it, suppressing it, and it's just become that time where you just go, I gotta just change. I gotta quit going away sad. I gotta quit feeling bad about it. I gotta just change. I just have to repent. And that's this. It's never made sense to me that I believe in hell and I am not warning people like crazy. It doesn't make sense. I can justify it. It's always bothered me. It's always bothered me. I, I remember when I first started Cornerstone and it was bothering me then. Like, I still don't actually go out and talk to people about Jesus. And so I went to a very successful pastor in this area and I just closed the door. I go, hey, honestly, you ever feel guilty? Like, like right now, shouldn't we be like out telling people about Jesus? You ever feel guilty about that? And he goes, no. I'm like, really? He goes, he goes, Francis, that's not really our job. Our job is to motivate the people and then they do it. Okay, I like that. I like that. Okay, I'm going to keep that one. You know, it's just, okay, okay, that, that feels a little better. Yeah, it's your job. Oh, stupid. You know, and it's like, okay, you know, but it never felt right. It still doesn't make sense. You know it doesn't make sense. If I believe this and I don't tell my next door neighbor, I, I don't care how you justify it. It just doesn't make sense. And you can't be at peace with that. And you try to push it off, and everyone has their excuses. Oh, that's right. I'm the pa- 
pastor. Pastor doesn't evangelize, doesn't share, you know. And then, and then you guys come and they're like, well, that's not really our job. That's your job, pastor. Why don't you come to my workplace and share with my friends? And, and it just becomes this whole thing where it's like, no, 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 you do it, you do it, you do it. And bottom line is we're all supposed to be doing this. It's the only thing that makes sense. And we don't have peace about it when we're not. It's, it's always bothered us. But we, we, we blow it off or we make excuses or we come up with other ways to where we don't have to tell the people that we love the most important thing in our lives. To where we don't talk to strangers about it. And um, for me, it's been a time where I just got rid of excuses, quit suppressing it, and just started sharing with people. Spent a lot of my days just knocking on doors, trying to enter into conversation with people, walking up to people in the street. And, and understand, okay, I'm in like the inner city, San Francisco, the Tenderloin District, bunch of druggies, you know, street people. And that's not to be admired because I go there because it's easier to start there. It's easier to start with them because they have time. Um, it's just, it's like prison ministry. They got time, you know, you go and, and, and it's effective. They're, they're at their end and, you know, here everyone's too busy and you, you just go, man, let me just, I just got to get in the habit of telling strangers about the most important thing. I, I, I got to just get in the habit of looking people in the eyes and start talking to them about what I believe. And then hopefully as that happens, it'll just become a regular pattern in life. And then I can be in the suburbs and do the same thing. But sometimes I'm just saying it's easier to start there. But I'm telling you, there's a sense of peace. There's a sense of peace where you're going, finally. I remember one day just telling Lisa, I go, I think I shared the gospel with more people today than I did last year. And it's so good. I just can go to bed tonight and rest and go, that's what he told me to do. Because it's a big deal. You know, sometimes we get so used to hearing messages and doing nothing and disobeying that it just becomes pattern and it's a novelty when someone actually obeys. But you understand that's not the way it's supposed to be. I mean, Jesus, Jesus rose from the dead. And remember what he says, he goes, all authority, every bit of authority. So you don't listen to anyone else because every ounce of authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You don't have to look at anyone. You don't have to listen to anyone because every ounce of authority was just given to me. I just rose from the dead to give you this command. Go and make disciples. That's a big deal. And it's a big deal when we don't. I mean, think about it. You guys all, or a lot of you work or have worked. Isn't it a big deal when your boss gives you an assignment and you choose not to do it? Some of you have never done that at work. Because that's a big deal. Your boss just told you to do that and you're not going to do it? That's massive. Some of you are employers. That's a big deal when someone disrespects you like that, right? You said, wait, so you understood the assignment and you just didn't feel like doing it? Really? You, You have the freedom to do that. I mean, you know how you feel when you're disrespected that way. I'm just going, here is the Son of God going every ounce of authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go make disciples. And some of us in this room have never baptized anyone, never made a disciple, aren't even planning on it. And I'm going, that's a big deal. 
And I know you don't feel peace about it. And my goal is not that you walk away sad. <laughs> my goal is that you change. You go, okay, great, great. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to turn. That's all I can stand. That's all I can take. I'm done. I, I hear you. I hear you. I've never felt peace about that either. It's never made sense to me. And I got to take a step now. I got to do something. Do something. I love what Paul says in Acts 20, verse 26. He goes, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul, Paul had that peace where he goes, oh, I did it. I just did it. I just told you everything. Your blood's off my hands. I can testify. I didn't get scared. I didn't shrink back. Here, I said it. Man, in those moments when I look a friend in the face or a neighbor in the face and go, man, I can't believe I've never told you this, but I gotta just share it because it's driving me nuts. It's the most important thing in my life. And I care about you, so I gotta say it. Here it is. And to be able to go home at night and go, I did it. I can't control whether they believe or not, but I put it out there. And that's, that's a hard thing. You want to try to control it. You want to make it work. You don't want to be rejected. You don't want them to reject God. Worst of all, it's like, don't reject him. Don't reject him. And it kills you. But the beautiful thing, and going back to that, why I want you with me on some of the things that I'm doing is... Uh, you know, Jesus says at the end of that, you know, go make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey everything I commanded you. And that last phrase, and I'll be with you always. I'll be with you. I, I was reading through Mark the other morning and the very last verse of Mark after Jesus, again, gives his great commission and, uh, you know, says, go make disciples. Then in verse 20 of, of Mark 16, it says, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. It's like they went out and Jesus was right there with them. This is after he ascended into heaven. Just like he says in Matthew 20, you just go start making disciples. Because some of you go, man, I don't, I don't feel his presence with me. I don't, I don't sense God right there. I don't experience that intimacy. And I got to go, well, are you making disciples? If you were out making disciples, trying to teach people to obey everything, you'll experience, that's when you're going to experience his presence. Just like in Mark. Man, once they got out, it says that Jesus actually worked with them. You're not alone when you're out making disciples. Those who say, I don't experience the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit was given you to be a witness. You know, wait for the gift. He's going to empower you to be a witness. You want to experience his presence. Go. Get rid of all this guilt and just actually go and share and start living a life where you're actually obeying God on the mission, doing it. Enough excuses and you'll experience him. I mean, that's the thing that I've gotten to do is, 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 is see God. Do I miss the relationships and the love? I miss it dearly. But the peace of actually being on the mission and finally going... I'm doing it and the presence of Christ that I get to experience so that you're not alone. Man, I was at this one guy's house, knocked on his door, you know, he's smoking pot, drinking, everything else. A guy that I've gotten to know and we start talking and I don't know, something hit me when I, when I just 
casual conversation, like, how old are you anyways? And he goes, he goes, I'm 59. I go, 15? He didn't look that old. I'm like, 59? I go, man, you're not going to live very much longer. I'm serious. I mean, I go, wow, how much longer you think you're going to live? Look at the way you're living. And I just started freaking out, going, man, I like you, man. Do you, are you ready to see God? 59? Are you ready to see God? And he just goes, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, you're not. You're not. I promise you, you're not. I mean, I just was like, I promise you, you're not ready to, you know. And I just went to Isaiah 6. I go, do you know, even the prophets, like, ah! And you think, hey, there's no way, you know. And, you know, suddenly you see these bumps on his arm. He goes, whoa, I just lost my high. I go, sorry, sorry about that, you know, but <laughs> it's just. You know, I it just started laying it out, and you know, and I go, man, do you believe this? Do you believe this? You kind of believe this, and laying hands on him, praying over him, you know, gives his life to the Lord, he, you know, gets baptized, and you know, we bring him over to our house because it actually was going to be his 59th birthday, and uh, he brought his crack pipes and a hammer and just buried it in our backyard. The kids and I sang happy birthday, you know, bought him presents, and. Uh, you know, <laughs> Zeke's playing with the, you know, st- and, and uh, just whatever. And uh, crazy thing, though, he just goes, okay, pray for me, pray for me. The first of the month is coming. Been good for a while, but the first of the month is crazy because that's when we get our paychecks. Everyone goes nuts on the first of the month. Two days before, you're already dreaming and plotting of all the things you're going to do. It's been a cycle for years. This guy's been addicted for 40 years. And so I'm thinking, we will pray for you, but I'll do better than that. First of the month, I'm going to go to his house. I'm going to pick him up in the morning. I'm not going to let this guy, I'll handcuff him to myself if I need to. You know, seriously, because I'm going, I'm not going to let my brother fall, you know. And, uh, but then first of the month, March 1st comes in and I get the flu. And I'm just sick as a dog and I'm just going, I can't get up, I can't get up. Oh no, no, James is going to, he's going to smoke crack again, you know, and... And then one of the volunteers, this, you know, kid Aaron's like, hey, hey, I'm going to go visit James. Oh, good, good, good. You know, we hang up. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, what's Aaron going to do? You know, this guy's been addicted 40 years. He needs Francis Chan, you know? Seriously, I got to admit, some of these thoughts go through my head like, Aaron, some 20-year-old kid, hasn't written any books. And so you just start going... He needs me, you know, and uh, just stupid stuff going through your head. End of the day, I get this call from Aaron. He's just like lit up, like, you'll never believe what happened. I'm like, what, what, what? He goes, man, I, I took him, we went to the bank, we put all his money on this, so we couldn't, you know, give the drug dealers, you know, and then he told me about, you know, how he hadn't been clean on the first of a month. He goes, in at least 20 years. He goes, there's no way, not at least 20 years. And he goes, so I say, let's go celebrate. So, so we, you know, I go, let's, let's go to dinner. And he goes, I get on my iPhone, try to look for this one place, you know, and end up at this, I ah, forget, let's just go to this Popeye's right here at this corner. We sit down, have some fried chicken. You know, he goes, I'm walking through the Bible with him. I got to teach him Romans 6 through 8 and walk through the whole thing with him. And then I looked at him and I go, man, when did this all start for you? And, uh, and, and, you know, James just goes, man, it, I was 19 years old when it started. Because I was 19, he goes, my boss actually brought cocaine to work. He goes, and I'd dab, I'd smoke pot a little bit, drink a little bit, but I just wanted to try it. 
And he goes, and once I tried it, he goes, I fell in love with it. I couldn't get enough of it. And now for 40 years, I've been addicted to this. And he goes, but I'll never forget the first time I tried it. He goes, because I was, uh, he goes, I was working at this restaurant. And he was the owner or manager. And he goes, I was just a dishwasher, cook guy. And I remember, because he put me, he brought me to the back room and there were lines down, and, and he goes. It was in here. Is this $5.99 to Visadero? Yeah. He just freaks out. He goes, it was in this room. This used to be, and he named the restaurant. It was right there. And he goes, for 40 years. It started here, and God had me in this desert for 40 years, and then he brings me back to the very place where it all started to deliver me after 40 years. If I ever doubted God, I will never doubt him again. Yeah. And he and Aaron, you know, Aaron's just on the phone, I can't believe, you know, just telling me this story. Things like that. And, you know, Tom, another guy, just drunk out of his mind forever. You know, police, I thought he was dead. You know, he's just drunk out of his mind. They took him to the hospital, on and on. Been trying to share the gospel with him. Finally, you know, gives his life to the Lord. And my friend Christian just says, I, I don't know why. I just, I, I just feel like I'm supposed to read this passage to you. I don't, I don't know why. Just let me read it to you. You know, it was Daniel, he goes, Daniel 5. It was about Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, he, how, how God, you remember him? He got cocky and, and turns him into this beast. And for seven years, he just, you know, nails grow out. Just freak, you know. And then uh, at, at, at the end of the seven years, he says, he regained his reasoning and Tom just goes, how did you know to read that? He's like, I don't know, I just read it. Tom's like, do you know that Memorial Day will be seven years for me? Seven years ago, Memorial Day, I moved out here on that day and have just lived as an absolute beast Drunk out of my mind, just trying to forget everything. And the thing I've been wrestling with is, he goes, I feel like God abandoned me. And I kept wondering, will he ever bring me back? Will he ever accept me? And then you read this story about a guy who for seven years was abandoned by God. And then at the end of the seven years, his reasoning returned. How did you know to read that? Tell you about Carla. Carla was another gal who just no church background whatsoever. And back was hurting. I prayed for her. And she just looks at me and goes, You are freaking me out right now. <laughs> She's like, Look at me. I don't feel anything. <laughs> you are freaking me out. It's just, and I go, It's cool, huh? You know, it's just stuff like that that would start happening. I mean, Tom was a result. Tom was a result of James because after James gave his life to the Lord, we said, "Man, you've been a Christian two weeks. You got to start praying for other people and start ministering to them." And he goes, you, "We just pick one guy in your apartment." He goes, "Okay, I'll pray for Tom." And uh, two hours later, Tom, we get a call from James. He goes, "You'll never believe it. Tom just knocked on my door. He's never knocked on my door. He knocked on my door and asked me for prayer." 
What in the world is going on? I go, what I tell you, this real, isn't it? And they're experiencing this stuff. To see my daughter experiencing some of this, you know, some friends came to visit her up in San Francisco. She, she takes them to in and out over there by Fisherman's Wharf. And as they go in to get their burger, she sees a homeless lady and just asks her, can I get you a burger? And she's like, sure. So Rachel goes in, gets her a cheeseburger, comes back out and says, can I eat with you? Can I sit with you as you eat? The lady's like, sure. Rachel starts sharing about Jesus to this guy, you know, this gal. And then the girl just goes, it's really weird. This is really weird that you're telling me about Jesus because two months ago someone told me about Jesus. And when you were walking up, I was trying to think about because this guy was telling me about Jesus and then he started telling me about some pastor that moved up here from this L.A. area and, and how I should go visit his ministry in the Tenderloin, you know. And she goes, when you walked up, I was literally trying to remember what the name of that pastor was. And my daughter's just like, is it Francis Chan? <laughs> yes, that's it. You know him? You know, it's just this moment where Rachel could look at this lady and go, okay, do you think there's any chance this is coincidence that you're trying to figure out the name of a guy of my dad when I walk up or is God trying to get your attention? You know, just a couple weeks ago, I was talking with this homeless lady and I just knew the Lord wanted me to stay with her. You know those moments where it's like, I'm not supposed to leave. I'm supposed to just keep talking and keep probing and I don't know, something was happening and I just kept asking more questions, more questions. And at one point I finally go, I could be totally off, but it seems like you used to know God when you were younger, didn't you? You used to believe in Jesus, didn't you? And she just starts crying. And I said, you've been miserable because you've been fighting, fighting it, fighting it. She's crying, and then she finally just says, yeah, I grew up in the church. I was that kid that didn't, I just could do no wrong. And here she is living in a shelter and everything. She goes, but I, I did. I grew up in church. I loved God. I was so into everything. She goes, when I graduated high school, I became a lifeguard at a Christian camp. She goes, for six years, I was a lifeguard at this place called Hume Lake. And I'm like, what? I go, I taught at Hume Lake for 20 years in a row. She's like, who are you? I go, Francis. You're Francis. You know, it was just... I go, I knew it. I knew I was supposed to sit here and listen to your story. I go, man, don't you see how God's trying to pull you back? And, you know, and, and just these things that happen where he's going, man, God was there, God was there, God was there. And I, I'd love to tell you all those people repented and are walking with the Lord today, but it's not true. Some of them experienced miracles right there and decide to go back to their sin and it breaks your heart. There's no guarantee that they're going to turn. What the guarantee is, is that Jesus will be with you. Just the signs will accompany you. You'll see, wow, this is cool. You know, yeah, they didn't repent, and I would love that, and it breaks my heart. But I know Jesus is with me, and I'm seeing him every day, and I'm experiencing him. And that's what I think of when I think of that first John passage. It's like, oh, I want you all to experience the supernatural. This is not like, oh, well, that's unique to you, Francis. No, no, no. 
This is what God has for all of us if we would go out and try to make disciples, try to lift up the name of Jesus, get rejected. We get, I, I wish I could tell you all these wonderful stories. There hasn't been a ton of repentance out there. There hasn't been. It's not glamorous. I can't tell you, man, I got a church this size now. You know, and they're all ex- No. Most of the people that got baptized, whatever, went right back to their junk. Breaks my heart. My heart gets broken day after day. It's rough. But the presence of Christ is with you. And there's a peace. And it's like, okay, this is good. This is good. I'm experiencing you. And nothing compares to that. You know, that's what some of you needed to hear. But I just got to share one last thing with some of you. Um, One of the things I've learned being out there, I've learned so many things, but one of the things has been just how awful sin is. Like, see, living here, you don't often see the end result of sin. You just see a next step. And, and I remembered when I lived here, sin still looked a little glamorous to me. And you get tempted by things. Out there, when you see a guy drunk out of his mind, diarrhea all over himself, laying on the street, you don't think, oh man, that's what I want to be. There's nothing attractive to it. The end of those addictions. It's like, oh. And, 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 and when you talk to them, it all started with a party. It all started, well, it was just a casual drink. It was just this. I just wanted to try it. I'm not going to become one of those guys. No one ever plans on that. And it's the same, you know, even sexual sin suddenly is so ugly because you find these people, they're just trying anything, turning themselves on in any way possible. And now you're just going, wow, that is so gross now. So I see the end result and I love that my kids are growing up and seeing the end result. People talking to themselves, crawling around, you know, just begging for money, just going, that's, that's, that, and that's not even the very end. I, I, I tell the people out there, I go, I feel like you're in a giant toilet, you know? And, and at first you jumped in because you saw that outer rim and it was like, a, it was like one of those lazy rivers. You're like, ooh, that looks fun, ooh, you know? And you're like, oh, this is fun. And you don't even realize you're getting sucked down further and further. And the, the longer you're in there, the harder it is to swim out. And now you're at the very bottom and it's not fun anymore. Now it's just panic time. I'm about to get flushed down and it's about to get a lot worse. And I feel like, man, some of us are on that outer rim thinking, man, that's kind of attractive. Some of you ladies that suddenly someone's paying attention to you on Facebook and you're going, man, this is kind of fun. Someone actually thinks I'm attractive. Someone is paying more attention to me than my husband. This, this, I'll never cheat on my husband. I'll never leave him. I would never leave my kids. But just, just let me just jump in there and paddle around for a little bit. Let me just take the next step. I'll never let it go further than this. I mean, I'm not one of those. I'm just going to look at the computer just this one time, just one glance at this, this pornography, you know, but I'm not going to be one of those addicts where I'm 40 years old still looking on, you know, naked girls on the computer and playing with myself. I'm not going to be that. I'm just, I'm just having a, a couple of drinks. It's just casual. It's, it's like this, there's this, you know, it's just to fit in. It's, it's not, a, it's not a sin. It's not, it's just a little bit of weed and it just relaxes me. And it's just, that next step, and I'll never be one of those. 
That's what all these guys thought. And you see the end result of it. And I think there's some of you right now that are playing with fire and you know it. And my prayer is that you don't walk away sad, but you do a Zacchaeus and go, you know what? You're right. I'm deleting that off. You're no longer a Facebook friend. You're, you know, whatever. Let me get a filter on the internet. Let me break off this relationship. I'm, I'm lying to myself. I'm more addicted than I thought I was. I'm greedier than I thought I was. I gotta just do something. See, Satan would be thrilled if you walked away sad today. Going, man, I'm really convicted by his message. We had that week after week after week. That's the rich young ruler. Man, I'm really convicted by that message. Man, that message makes me really sad. And I'm going, man, I just want people to have a Zacchaeus moment, a Popeye moment, where you just go, okay, I've never felt right about this. I just want to have peace again. Or maybe for the first time in my life. And for me, it meant ditching my normal lifestyle and going out and doing some of the things that I hate to do and taking a step and doing something uncomfortable. Others of you, it means walking away because you're thinking you're going to take one more lap. But every lap gets you closer and closer to the bottom. And I've just seen Satan's plan. I feel like I look him in the eyes every day out there. And he's just thinking, I got these people. It's too late for them. I got them, I got them. And sometimes I think, sometimes there are days when I just think, I think it is too late for them. (laughs) If I'm honest with you, sometimes I just feel like giving up. Like you are so far down there to pull you out of this thing. But what's impossible with man is possible with God. I'm just looking at you guys and saying, please don't. You know how many divorces I've seen in this room? And no one ever thought it would go to that. How many bad relationships where we just were hanging out as friends and then it just repent, man. Repent. And it's hard. But don't go away sad today. Make this a Zacchaeus moment where you go, you know what, you're right. I haven't had peace about this. I'm done. I'm walking away. And rejoice with the rest of us. So we're going to have a worship set, and we're going to sing. But some of you, the worst thing you can do is sing a song and forget about the change that God wants to take place right now. Um, Some of you, you need to just tell someone. That's why we have the prayer room up here, is maybe today's a day where you go, you know what, I'm done. I can't stand anymore. I go to bed every night, and I know I'm not living the way God wants me to, so it never occurred to me to actually change, and I want to do it now. Help me. Help me change. Others of you, maybe you've resisted God because you've been like that rich young ruler because you know what it means, what you'd have to turn away from to go into the waters of baptism, to repent, to die to yourself and say, I'm going to follow Jesus now. But maybe today you're going, you know what? I'm done. I'm not going to take another lap in this thing. Pull me out, Jesus. Get me out of here. I want to follow you and give your life to Jesus today. Get baptized today. It would be amazing. But let me, let me pray for you before we worship. God, I get so sad, Lord, when I see people that I know, know that you are real. They've experienced miracles. They've seen the supernatural And yet they still walk away sad because they're not ready to turn. 
And God, only your Holy Spirit can cause what happened with Zacchaeus and make it a real thing where there's action. And so, Father, right now, I ask that you would open the eyes of the blind, that you give ears to the deaf, and that people will just get it right now and realize the cycle that Satan's had in them over and over and over again, God, and that today would be the day they would trust in the power of your Holy Spirit to really empower them to turn and actually change. God, you know how much I love the people in this room. God, I just pray that they would would truly repent and turn and experience you and enjoy you now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.